Welcome to the third season of That's So Second Millennium, the Catholic science podcast where we explore the fascinating borderlands between science and theology through realms of philosophy, human experience, and more. Welcome back to That's So Second Millennium, episode 122. This episode is a contemplation of the concept of original sin and comparison to modern ideas about psychology, the things that we inherit from our childhood, the things that we inherit as a weakness of our human nature, the things that we inherit as sort of maladjusted things from the lives that our distant ancestors used to live. Uh, we pull a lot of ideas together, um, think about them a bit, read from the catechism actually for a while. Bill, uh, Bill gets on me to the point that I need to make sure that I've uh, gone back to the catechism and uh, pulled some uh, authentic theology from there. So, uh, this is a little bit of everything about that concept of why we do the terrible things that we sometimes do. I hope you enjoy it. So I something else has reminded me a couple of things in the past month of something that I, you know, first first started thinking about years ago when I was have you heard of Steven Pinker? I have heard he's of a, that. He's name, a public yes. intellectual. Um he's an atheist. Um what is his actual specialty? I'm not even sure. Uh he wrote a book called The Blank Slate. Um, where he talks about how um, fellow leftists get a lot of things wrong because they assume that human nature can just be rewritten at will, which is absolutely not the case. And there's no science to, you know, there's all sorts of scientific, you know, observations to, to back up the fact that human beings act in certain ways. And that's, that's how it is. Um, there is, there is, you know, right. this is not quite his terminology. Um but there is such a thing as human nature basically is fundamentally what it is. Right. And it can't be, it can't be distorted. Right. Out of all. But in any case, in the course of listening to the first third of that audio book before he became unlistenable, because he started talking about politics and religion and he's, he's an awful person to listen to talk about politics and religion. Oh, interesting. Um, oh, interesting. But, uh, uh-huh. but he's talking about the concepts in evolutionary biology, which is, this free for all where people sort of attribute to their God evolution, all sorts of miraculous, wonderful things that may or may not really be the case, but there is some, you know, there is at least some reasonable speculation that goes on there about things like, you know, the, we, the humans, there is a human nature and it was forged to get us through tens of thousands of years, hundreds of thousands of years, perhaps of living in a hunter gatherer, existence um and so there are things that, right, that are right. you know in groups of i don't know dozens maybe uh you know i'm not, I'm not familiar with the archaeology on that but you know settlements of maybe that size probably no probably no more than a thousand for sure uh and so you know what uh, what yeah, got what got groups through you know what got groups of human beings through what individual human behaviors and tendencies got groups of human beings through that period really doesn't necessarily serve us even at the level of agricultural civilization, let alone ah, the internet. Um, and so, oh, right. Know, yeah. The global, the global society. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's one of the, yeah. one of the things. And then there's Which, simply the fact that, you know, whenever you have something, anything can go wrong, you know, in any animal, any living thing you yeah. know, it has, you know, it has systems at the cellular level, tissue level, organ level, system level that can go wrong, period. I mean, that simply happens. 
Um, you know, between yeah. those two observations, yeah. I started to yeah. think, I wonder if there's, there's some connection between our Christian concept of original sin and some of these other concepts. I mean, especially the idea that we're set up oh for an existence okay. that we no longer live. Um, you know, the, the, you know, the kind right. of, you know, crude violence to outsiders, let us say, to, to take one, you know, our tendency to simply, you know, at a very basic level, separate people into in-groups and out-groups. And, you know, we can modify yeah. that behavior. And certainly the Christian religion encourages us to, you know, sand the sharp, nasty points off of that as best we can. Yet there's still, it's, I mean, it's just there. You know, that, that's something that we do. You know, that tendency is just very, very strong. Um, and it's an open question whether anyone ever actually yes. gets rid of it or if they just modify it to the point that, you know, everyone everyone can be in a group. Maybe that's what we need the demons for. Um, maybe they, maybe we have to have them to be our out group. <laughs> well, that's interesting. <laughs> right, right. Um, oh, well, uh, yeah, isn't it true that the human nature, do, I mean, uh, it's uh, the, it seems as though uh, uh, societies need enemies to motivate their pulling together to yeah. cooperate. Huh? I mean, happens uh, so often, doesn't it? Uh, we spend a lot of time. Yes, and I do find that I guess that is an element of original sin. Uh, um, uh, you know, the, the 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 tribal approach. The and of course, I guess. Uh, obviously, the original sin was in the Garden of Eden, but the first uh, the first sign of cancel culture, or the sign, the first sense of demonization, or trying to find an, a competitive advantage, uh, was only in the next generation. It was yeah. the uh, uh, you know Cain and Abel Cain story, and Abel, right? Yeah, yeah, it escalated so quickly, things, didn't it? Things, things devolved pretty quickly. Yeah. They sure did. Yeah, they did. <laughs> yeah. I do like the idea of how does uh, how does um, you know uh, original sin and our lack of ability to understand and have compassion for uh, uh, basic human nature, which by the way I think really does include having a god-sized hole uh, mm-hmm. inside of us that has to be filled somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does that? The totality of human nature, uh, uh, you know, integrate itself into what we're the, how we're expected to live today, um, especially if um, uh, if we're if we're uh, stopping our belief in God or, uh, you know, so many of us are nuns and, um, uh, you know, we, we think of ourselves as God or as the sources of truth Um uh, one thing original sin requires is some sense of forgiveness and compassion and uh, getting on the back on the right track, which can be done as easily as being baptized. At least we shed the uh, original sin at right. that point. Right. right. Uh, uh, so but if but if but nobody if if nobody is uh, adhering even to those very basic uh, uh, processes of sin management. I've never used that term before. There you go. I like the idea of sin management. <laughs> what do you think? Only to be done by qualified professionals, I mean Jesus yeah. Christ. But yeah. Uh, that's, that's right. Yes. Yeah. People, human beings cannot be. Yeah. I don't think God offers a certificate program. No. 
that we could take mm. in sin management. But, not, not in uh, yeah. management. I am interested in hearing more about uh, how how that topic kind of arose as as a timely uh, uh, concern for you. And uh, did you see it in a particular uh, life circumstance, or well, there's, is it it's, part it's, of it's uh, things reading that I've that been you're reading doing? slash listening to for the most part? Um, I mean, certainly I'm reading or listening to them because they're relevant to my life. But um, so back in, I don't remember if it was late January, the very beginning of February, um, I'll I'll leave the parish and the name of the priest nameless. I'm in the greater St. Louis area now. Um, (laughs) There's somebody who's now a bit of a throwback. He is a a retired priest, which I mean, this is a great – you know, there, there are three priests of this parish, and I don't think that's even abnormal. Now, you know, one of them is senior, yeah. senior pastor, and one of them is retired. Um, but nevertheless, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, coming from Indianapolis where things are a little sad in terms of number of priests. Yeah. Uh, St. Louis is, seems like a, a richer yep. environment. I was actually just listening to the, the Catholic radio station here in town. Um, because I finally noticed the sign for it outside adoration on Friday wow. night. No, I, I'd be interested. That's probably a fairly robust Catholic station yeah. in St. Louis. Yeah, yeah. They were they were interviewing a couple of uh, seminarians yeah. who are probably you know have been like or like fourth years, probably about to be ordained deacons. I wouldn't swear to it, but I didn't catch all the conversation. But you know, listening to them talk about you know their experience uh-huh. in the seminary, their call to the priesthood, and things like that. Um, so that was, yeah, I mean, just there's, just, there's just a sense of things being a little bit more robust here, that things are a little bit more lively than they are in Indianapolis, unfortunately. Nice. Um, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, so I, I, yeah. but anyway, there are three priests at our parish and the, the, the outright retired one is a bit of a throwback to like, you know, I'd say the sixties and seventies where there, there was still good, there was still good stuff going on, but there was a certain era that I feel like the church passed through where we were starting to get, you know, aware of psychology and, you know, the need to sort of shake ourselves out of our sort of self-satisfied, culturally conformist ways, which we've, we, we, we've gotten rid of the right. cultural conformity of Catholicism. Well, we're, we're so good at that. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Oh yes, we've li- we're we we're so liberated. We're we're going to hell in a handbasket. Uh, so yeah, liberated. yeah, to some extent. Um, yeah. yeah. So, but but it's like yeah. So I'm, I go through this phase where I, I'm in, I'm in, I'm at a I'm at a frustrated you know dark moment. I mean like moment really that day, maybe a few days, maybe that whole week where it's just the stress of moving and starting this new job and worrying about whether I'm going to get to the point where I'm contributing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I was, I just kind of snapped back to some of my old, you know, like feeling bad about things and being really worried about just, you know, God is going to condemn me because I haven't done enough for other people, which, you know, that's, that's an undercurrent in my oh life. My. I feel isolated and I feel like I've just, you know, I feel like the God, you know, the, the judge of Matthew 25, is it, um, is going to separate me right along with the goats and, you know, like you've done nothing for people. Oh. You're going to, you know, there, there's part of me that's really, really worried about that. Um, so I get, wow. I can't, okay. I really can't sum it up better than being, I get roundly abused for being too hard on myself was kind of this guy's you're a jerk. You know, that's actually right. pride. Uh-huh. And that's, you know, God, you know, it's all about God's forgiving you. What you, what you do doesn't matter. Um, 
which I mean, there is that whole strain of the New Testament. There, that is unquestionable. And that is, and I do lose track of that. And I can, I, you know, I, and in some sense, yeah, I, I needed to hear that right then. Um, but boy, it was delivered with <laughs> an attitude of contempt and dismissal at the same time. It was really kind of, yeah. uh, uh-huh. so why do I bring that up? Because he gave me two books to read. One of them was, yeah. what was the book by, um, Henry Nguyen? What was that book? I don't remember. It's sitting in the back seat of my. He gave me the books and said, you know, hand them on to someone else. So I have, I actually have in the back seat of my car in order to hand it on to someone else if the opportunity uh, presents itself. And Henry Nguyen just, I don't know. He's too, he's too kind of, he's too colorless for me. I really, I can't, I can't grasp him in terms of what is he, what is he trying to get me to do? What does he want me to change? What does he want me to think about differently? I'm still not altogether sure. I, it's a vaguely inspiring book, but it's not really the book for me. Um, and then, and then uh, he's handed me a book by Eckhart Tolle. Have you heard of him? Uh, yeah. No. He is a yeah a new kind of para Buddhist guru type who hangs around with Oprah and has like a fairly massive commercial oh, okay. machine around his enlightenment business but he's very in in sort of i don't know new new age circles if i have to sort of draw that distinction um he's very you know he sells a bunch of books for sure um so this so this book is and so far you know I'm, i'm gosh i'm 17 pages into it um he's he's fascinating because he he rides a certain like he doesn't go right off the rails into just being ridiculous. He's got, he's got a point and I guess, you know, or, and I suppose I, I suppose, you know, I must admit that, you know, I already come with having concluded a lot of these things in my own reading of history, that you know, enlightenment comes in many different figures and it goes right off the rails because people go into that conformity, into that social conformity. And when you took Christianity and made it an official state religion, you know, you set this time bomb. You, you, yeah, I mean, you set this time bomb. It went off in the Reformation, you know, and then it just kept, you know, things kept exploding. And, you know, by the, by the 18th century, people were ready to be done with religion. And here we are. You know, I mean, the, the process is just... And I was what, actually listening was to the, the Counter-Reformation? Uh, well, I mean, the Counter-Reformation couldn't stop that process. I, um, it was valuable and, you know, yeah, it's right. given us a rallying point and we're still here. I mean, that was you know, part of God's plan for yeah, right. the Catholic yes. church to still be here on uh, being, but it was, I mean, it was time apparently. Yes. I mean, and I mean, that's my reading of history is that, you know, that was the Constantinian age from right. about, you know, whatever that would have been 325 to, you know, 1519. Um, would, was the age when, you know, God had Christianity in this, I guess, kind of incubator where it was going to be allowed to be the state religion in Europe and, you know, and get a, a considerable amount of philosophic and, you know, other and theologic work, you know, built up, build up ahead of steam, become a intellectual, you know, peer yeah, to anything else in the world. And I, I think the incubator is broken now. 
I think we're, you know, we're in a different era and we're going to continue to be in a That's different era. We're not going back to the Constantinian age. Right. And frankly, there's a lot not to be missed about the Constantinian age. I mean, if you was go read like Howard Pyle's Robin Hood and, you know, the sort of discussion of, you know, pro, you know, obviously it's a polemic, it's polemical, but, you know, the discussion of, you know, the wealth and corruption of, you know, of clergy, of bishops in particular, you know, people with power, um, you know, because once you make Catholic clergy, once you make Christian clergy, you know, major landowners and political power brokers has a pretty negative effect on most of them. Some of them, there are saints oh, yeah. come up in any circumstance, but that was a bad environment yeah. with a lot of people who set very bad examples. That's right. Talk about avoiding the near occasion of sin. Uh, yeah. We didn't do a good job of it back then. Yeah. But and and, and totally it refers to that. Yes. I mean, that's, he, 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 he points this out and, you know, and, and you think about the, the sort of attitudes that, you know, that, that are forged in that environment where you don't necessarily really believe in everything that Jesus had to say. You sort of, you know, wrap yourself in a Jesus banner, but you're not really necessarily, you know, believing in the harder things that he had to say or the things that don't, you know, lead to social conformity in some ways, you know, that's right. Uh, right. But, but that's, yeah. I mean, and of course he's, I mean, he is, he is a committed sort of syncretist slash, you know, somewhere between every religion is equally valuable, but you know, but you have to, you have to pull out of it. What I think is really important. <laughs> What's what's really important is is this this enlightenment, uh, show, right? Yeah, is this enlightenment business that I'm going to define for you, and that I'm hoping is going to. I mean, the whole his whole thing is that he thinks that you know world civilization has gotten to this point where we're ready to, you know, for a lot more people to become enlightened and you know more Christ or Buddha like, um, and yeah, and that you know we'll we'll let go of so much war and conflict and whatnot. Um, which, you know, he's, so he's both observing original sin and yet he's missing the critical feature that we're never going to be rid of it. You know, he's, he's allowing himself the pipe dream of the, 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 the utopian dream. I mean, and he's, he seems to be, he either just has, or he's about to launch onto a, you know, discussion of, you know, with secular utopias. Like he's, he's mentioned communism in very condemnatory terms, you know, that that was trying to oh. do these things you know, uh, in a materialist fashion. Um, so, I mean, yeah. again, like Pinker, it's like, you know, it's like, I can see a lot to agree with this guy. I can, you know, he's making some pretty obviously, you know, potent and pertinent points. You know, the other point of reference was um, I've been reading a lot about EMDR therapy, or I've been listening to an audio book by the woman who founded EMDR therapy back in the 80s. Um, have you ever heard of that? I don't know. So I don't know about EMDR. eye movement desensitization no. and reprocessing therapy. So the idea there is that there are things that you can like do by, among other things, stimulating your peripheral vision, that this is actually why we have rapid eye movement during sleep is that we're actually, we are, it's, it's literally part of, of our, you know, part of our human nature to process our, the memories of the day huh. or the week or however, you know, like, Right. There's no particular limit on what could be being reprocessed during dreams, but 
you know, that we need, and that we need memories right. need this sort of like post, you know, post event handling in order to become an integrated part of our psyche. And that a lot of problems come when that process goes wrong. And that pe- there are people who can, you know, who have struggled in psychotherapy or, you know, and don't respond to drugs, whatever else. Um, that have been helped by the specific, it can be your peripheral vision. It can be sort of like physical stimulations on either hand or either leg, or I think maybe even noises to either side, but there's something about this, you know, needing to, you know, process bilaterally. That's part of how this works apparently. So, so I've been listening to this and thinking about, you know, I mean, this long-term project I've been on myself, you know, in terms of, thinking about what has happened to me, the experiences that I went through as a child, the things that I did and did not get um, as a child um, that are, I mean, that's another form of original sin. I mean, everyone goes through, and and that's a point that she makes. Like it almost, it doesn't matter how loving and, you know, dedicated your parents were, they're going to make mistakes and things are going to happen to you that were outside their control for that matter. Both of those are true. Yes. I mean, things are going to happen to you that they had no idea yeah. would cause this, you know, I mean, cause it's not, it's not a predictable process who will and won't, you know, process a memory. I mean, it can be as simple as, right, you know, right. like getting left at school when you're six years old and your parents show up two hours late. Like some kids will process yeah, that some and some kids will get stuck sick. there and affect them for decades. Yeah. You know, yes. I mean, to say yes. nothing of you know physical abuse or yes. sexual abuse or you know any of the other sort of big ticket items, it can be really small things, and it's just not. And that's, I mean, that comes back to what I was saying about we have a nature, we have a human nature, and it just goes wrong sometimes. You know, we live in an imperfect, <laughs> right. we live in yeah. imperfect bodies with imperfect minds and an imperfect world. And there's, you know, things that happen yeah. to us that then, then we can do, you know, we can do sinful and terrible things even under the influence of these, you know, I mean, that's, and that's the Christian drama, right? That Paul talks about in Romans, why do I do these things that I don't want to do? Ah, uh, yes. Which that's, you know, a, a yeah. key, yeah. you know, passage in the understanding of what original sin is actually about in terms of our day-to-day life. You know, the people of people have pondered ever since, yeah. and certainly in the 20th century, plenty of people have looked at it and found it to be <laughs> a very, very uh, pertinent and uh, insightful look at what human nature is and how it works. So, but okay, so now, uh, how does how does that uh, original sin concept? Uh, you know, affect our uh, everyday life uh, differently just because it's a much more expansive view of original sin than the catechism might. I don't know. Intend, I mean, right? I would, I, uh, I, I'd, uh, I'd kind of stick a bookmark on that and go read the catechism and say, is that really that much more expansive than what the catechism says? Or is it just... Or is Actually, it just yeah, sort that would of, be very interesting. Yeah. Am, am I just sort of saying the catechism spreads out this pretty big tent for it? I mean, it does. I think it's pretty. Uh, 
too tempting. It's right over here. <laughs> it's right over here. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm going to guess that it's out. Looking at me. I'm, I'm going to guess that it's quite broad in, in, in one way, at least, and that it encompasses all of human pride and the human desire to be, you know, one's own God and, yeah. uh, uh, and also susceptibility to uh, the spiritual temptation uh. to doubt God and to lose trust. Okay, well, I like that. Okay, I can the see fact that. The fact that original sin is going to route us over to just sin, like that, let's, I, that, that, that in itself suggests that this is going to wind up being pretty broad. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Although, I mean, uh, we're, we're, we're freed of our enslavement to original sin um, in baptism, but I guess that's the whole idea of concupiscence that we're, that we're still, we've still got the, the basic traits of original sin. Yeah, the phony yeah, spicati. I, 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 I believe I do need a little bit of a refresher for it. I believe that's a classical term yeah. that we still have. I mean, because it's true. You know, I mean, that's a that's a you know, since there's been any number of Christians, you know, we've had we've been faced with the, you know, the um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Paradox doesn't really the scandal. That there are people who go through baptism uh-huh. and are still, you know, still behave in all these rotten ways. Um, man and right. afflicted by sin from birth, 403. Following St. Paul, the church has always taught that the overwhelming misery which oppresses men and their inclination toward evil and death cannot be understood apart from their connection with Adam's sin. The fact that he has transmitted to us a sin with which we are all born afflicted, a sin which is the death of the soul. Because of the certainty of faith, the church baptizes for the remission of sins, even tiny infants who have not committed personal sin. 404. How did the sin of Adam become the sin of all his descendants? The whole human race is in Adam as one body of one man. By this unity of the human race, all men are implicated in Adam's sin, as all are implicated in Christ's justice. Still, the transmission of original sin is a mystery that we cannot Uh fully understand. But we do know by revelation that Adam had received original holiness and justice not for himself alone, but for all human nature. By yielding to the tempter, Adam and Eve committed a personal sin, but this sin affected the human nature that they would then transmit in a fallen state. It's a sin which will be transmitted by propagation to all mankind, that is the transmission of human nature deprived of original holiness and justice. That's why original sin is called sin only in an analogical sense. It is a sin contracted and not committed a state and not an act. A sin in the ordinary sense is an act, right? Ah, so. Yeah. And I like the idea of sin being primarily, you know, in terms of our own ability to judge sin and its effects, um, uh, I, I'm a little bit concerned about especially today's tendency toward uh, uh, judging people as sinful and downright evil, uh, not just on the basis of um, uh, particular acts or particular behaviors, but on one's kind of psychological analysis of that person, a kind of snap judgment that this person is in some way evil. Mm-hmm. Um, that that I, the church never prescribed that, right? It never told oh, us no. to you yeah. know think that uh, well, this person is clearly going to heaven or this person is clearly going to hell. Right. And right. I'm afraid that once we lost 
got uh, in, in a lot of people's calculus, we lost that we lost that distinction between the person and the person's behavior. Oh yeah, once once we could let ourselves unmoor from yeah. Jesus, judge not that ye not be judged. You know, all of this all this stuff can come flooding Indeed. back in. Right. Yeah. Oh, the judging is is haywire now. It's it's uh, ep- epidemic. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, that was you know, I think that with with the uh, um. The Constantinian age I was talking about, I mean, you know, it's, it's not like it's hard to find examples of people being profoundly hypocritical about that, you know, teaching of Christ, you know, in, say, the 13th, 14th, 15th century, you know, ready to ready to condemn all, I mean, Amen. certainly all Jews <laughs> or, or all Muslims or all, you know, oh, Lordy, what, yes, what, have, and- what have you. Or even or even their fellow, I mean, Dante, Dante's largely joking. But, you know, Dante wandering through hell. You know, there's more people here who speak with a Bolognese accent than there are actual people in Bologna in this particular corner of hell. Because they're wow. just that yeah. bad, people. It sounds like he was <laughs> he was he was practicing cancel culture by placing people in different rings oh. of hell, in different rings of hell. Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's probably a reason why Dante hasn't been canonized. I mean, I, I, I've seen a book that is a devotional book that is based on the Divine Comedy, as well there should be. I mean, in my own, I mean, the Divine Comedy was oh, central exactly. in my own conver- conversion experience. I mean, it's oh, I it's think a, yeah, I think that's the experience of a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, but it's but that yeah, but people can produce beautiful things and not have their whole life quite rise to that standard of, or, or at least, you know, their life in retrospect, well, right? Cause it's not their whole life. Obviously, obviously we right. don't judge Augustine by his whole life. We look at where he came to in the end. Um, but you know, exactly. Yeah. So Dante, even, even at the end of his life doesn't necessarily yeah. quite rise to that level. We, we, we should probably still pray for him. Although he's probably had enough people pray for him by this point that he's probably handing handing graces over to other folks in purgatory by now. But uh, uh, yeah, uh, but so uh, uh, just to draw uh, um, uh, as the uh, as the new press secretary for Biden uh, likes to say to circle back uh, to um, uh, where we started. Uh, I'm wondering whether your concern about original sin is um in a, a broader newer context than it was you know just uh, in, in more um, you know in recent days or in recent uh, circumstances of your life or uh is it uh, is it uh, raising new questions or um i mean it just it just gives uh, me new perspective you know the the perspective that i've gotten over in particular the last 3 years that i've been you know thinking about my own experiences in childhood that, you know, and knowing that everyone, right. You know, and, and, and like I said that, you know, the, the whole, the whole, the whole idea, you know, the, the phrase of the, um, her name is Francine Shapiro. Um, she's passed away, uh, in the past decade. Um, but the book is called getting past your past. And honestly, I'd strongly recommend it to just about anyone with the slightest concern about their own mental health, honestly. Um, or the health, or the mental right. health of someone they know and care about, and or you know certainly the, um, anyone who's you know got children who've had some sort of had some sort of issue that you know they think could 
potentially be helped in any way by any form of therapy because it's really it's it's amazing the sort of corners this can reach into apparently um but the whole the whole concept really? of the phrase she uses over and over again in that book is what's running your show that there is you know that these things sure. that are involuntarily because I mean that's 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 fundamental to original sin. Like you know the, the passages that I just read, it's involuntary. We don't get to choose whether we're dealing with it. And even if and even after we've been baptized, we've been baptized as an infant or as an adult. You know, even infants. You know, even those baptized in infancy have those fomes peccati that I'm almost certain that's I'm almost certain that phrase is somewhere. In there. It may be in a different passage. You know, the listener who's interested in this. You know, I was reading from the early four hundreds numbered chapters in the uh, uh or sections what are those officially called are those just section numbers or paragraphs they're probably paragraph numbers in in the uh, yes. catechism of the right. catholic church mm-hmm. from the early 90s from like 1994 i think is when it was promulgated but um yeah so it's but it's 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 also comes up elsewhere that that phrase may come up elsewhere because this is the this is the early part that's about the creed and so, of course, it also comes up in the context of, well, life in Christ, the Ten Commandments. That, that part is based on the Ten Commandments. So that's, I think, in that area, it also comes up several times. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's what is, you know, what is yeah. involuntarily, you know, so, the, I mean, so what is original sin in that sense? The fact that we're susceptible to this. I mean, after all, what was the consequence of original sin for Adam right. and Eve? That they were going to experience physical death. Right. And that's right. You know, so the right. fact that we're susceptible to physical death, it's, it's kind of like <laughs> the, the American legal principle that the power to tax is the power to destroy. Um, you, in a, in a, you flip that around uh-huh. a little bit, you know, the ability to die is the ability to go physically wrong, you know, rather than going from the small to the great to go yeah. from the great to the small. But, you know, that we're subject to all of these. Oh, you know, yeah. ways of going wrong that we would not have been in the state of original bliss, whatever that is. However, you know, Adam and Eve's, you know, original state, whatever that is, whatever universe that was in. I don't even I mean, I, I sometimes go down a, a, a very twisty, you know, path of speculation about where was even Eden? Was it even in this physical universe? I mean, right. What does that mean? And in particular, I would love to have someone who I would actually I would love to have about 10 someone's because I bet I get 10 different opinions um, of but people who are, you know, very knowledgeable about the book of Genesis, the Hebrew that was used there, you know, what words, what, you know, what textual variations there are in that particular thing is like, and he positioned the cherub with the fiery revolving sword. What on earth? Is that an image of? (laughs) What on earth was that an image of? But yeah, but that's and 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 unlike almost every other aspect of that uh, story in Genesis, I don't know of anybody who's picked up the fiery revolving sword and you know done a big. I mean, sure, some father of the church commented on it at some point in in some more or less you know crazy speculative fashion, but what does that mean? You know, does it, does it mean yeah. nothing? Yeah. If it means nothing, you know, what does scripture mean? Then? Well, I love the fact that you're asking these questions 
Uh, but what interests me uh, also, just as a kind of more um, journalistic, social, uh, sociolo- uh, sociological observer, uh, uh, I, you know, I, I'm still caught up by the fact that uh, uh, these analyses of sin are, um, you know, almost now uprooted from any grounding in Catholic wisdom or traditional understanding and uh, we define us too many of us define what's right uh for ourselves and then uh, define what's wrong for ourselves and others and uh, the uh, you know while while concupiscence makes uh, perfect sense um at least there's the element of forgiveness but um uh, folks who who or nuns, or uh, you know, atheists or agnostics, in in some sense, uh, they don't have the capability to uh, to distinguish between behavior as sin and uh, the the essence of the person as sinful. And um, yeah, I, I don't think people make the distinction between original sin and just plain old. Sin. Oh no! Yeah. They, they probably don't even call it sin anymore. Yeah, it's it's a yeah, uh, it's a phrase so, that it's, uh, it's questionable whether that exact phrase was ever the best pedagogical tool to sort of convey the concept. It's possible. Oh, interesting. It's possible. Yes. I mean, you know, to to emphasize the point that I just read from the catechism, it is not a sin in the ordinary sense. It is not an act. Yeah. It is a state, not an act. Um, it's involuntary, not voluntary. Well you don't said. Get That's to right. Choose. Yeah, it's a state. Yeah. Um, so it's possible that right. you know, in this new millennium, we may need to look at it and say, you know, what that is an obstacle for people's understanding. We should change it. It's not, you know, that's not a huh. that's not a fundamental, you know, it's not a fundamental aspect of the faith that we call it that exact phrase. But you know, um, there was something more substantive I wanted to say in response to your. Your comments there, um, you know, it's it's you know when you do the question of like defining things for ourselves, I <laughs> there's part of me that always you know that kind of rolls my eyes at that. I mean, and sometimes I you know sometimes even at people you know who are you know really on my side, as it were, you know, Orthodox Catholics, or at least we're all trying to be, um, you know, right. who who defines things for themselves? We're contingent. You know, if I'm trying to define something for myself, if I'm trying to define my gender for myself. I'm not trying to define my gender. You know, I'm not I'm not succeeding. I may be trying. Maybe I am trying, um, but I'm not succeeding. I am a contingent being who's formed yeah. by, I mean, the base level, my genetics. But then all of these experiences, I mean, this is a point that Francine Shapiro makes, too. Um, right. Yes, genetics have an effect, but genetics yeah. is more like it will it'll lean you one direction or another. But for you to actually like start the actual, you know, forming experience is going to be an experience. You know, you're going to be formed specifically by the experiences that you have, the things that people specifically tell you, the things that you specifically experience. And genetics, genetics has a much, genetics is almost kind of like drugs. The problem with drugs is that they're so nonspecific. You take a pill and your entire system is bathed in, you know, some quantity of that chemical you can't you know and then and of course your body has all these sophisticated systems that haul that chemical preferentially to certain places 
But, you know, you take it in, you take a pill, you take an injection and, you know, you lose control over where it goes. You know, it's not, it's a very blunt instrument, a medication, very blunt instrument. And genetics is like every cell in your body carries that genetic code. It's a very blunt, I mean, it's, it's like the canvas that you're painting on. You know, you can paint, you need different kinds of canvases or at least different kinds of background colors. Maybe I can make that, you know, analogy. You know, you can, you can start with different base colors and, you, you know, that will that will affect what the quality of your final painting will be. But, you know, the details of it are where you put, you know, that brush with that dab of red paint. It's not the greatest metaphor, right. but I think you see at least right. a little bit of where I'm going. Yes. Yeah. And so, I mean, uh, like, you know, original sin well, is in some sense yeah, that I, kind I, of, you know, background. I mean, it's, a, it's one of the background things. It's one of the aspects of all of our canvases is that we do have that tendency toward toward choosing the wrong thing. It looks good to us. We're deprived of understanding of, yeah. you know, and we're deprived of understanding. We're deprived of control, um, you know, in our natural state. We need, we need grace, you know, in order to function. And we don't have that, you know, and of course it's yeah. not, not like Adam and Eve didn't need grace either, but, you know, they had it from the beginning and then did something to unplug from it. And so that's what's carried on is that we're, yeah. we're naturally unplugged from it. And it takes some sort of effort on our part to respond to God's, you know, because it is responding to God. I mean, that's that's Christian, you know, that's Orthodox Christianity as well. Yeah. We have to respond to God. God is always, but God is always acting. There is no, is not, never has been, and never will be. This is another line that's quoted from a first millennium council in the catechism. Not an ecumenical council, oddly enough, but a council. Um, there is not, never has been, and never will be a human being for whom Christ did not die. You know, it's you know the, the defect it. is never yeah. on God's side. I mean, you're you're grounding it in uh, a catechism and and a traditional understanding, which is new to you know somewhat new to me, or at least I need a refresher course. And I'm I'm coming at it a little bit more from just my concerns about the eagerness of people today to make judgments about sin uh, in ways that uh, seem disconnected from tradition and from, uh, you know, church wisdom. And, uh, and, um, and of course, the whole idea of forgiveness for sin and understanding of a person's journey through a life of sin, but still, uh, you know, uh, open to uh, forgiveness and, and uh, oneness with God at the end. Uh, all of those things need to be recaptured if we're going to recapture the idea of sin. Thanks for listening to this episode of That's So Second Millennium. TSSM's audio producer is Morgan Burkhardt. Our theme music, Igneous Grok, was composed and performed by Vin Marquardt. For my co-host Bill Schmidt, I'm Paul Geesting. Until next time.